0: You're listening to Counterculture Christian with Thomas Hill. What's up, guys? Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Counterculture Christian. I'm Thomas Hill. I'm your host. Um, in case this is your first time listening, um, go ahead. If you want to learn more about me, go ahead and go back and watch our very first episode. Um, I really introduce myself, what I'm all about. But uh, just a little bit about me for anyone who hasn't listened before. My name is Thomas Hill. I am a freshman at Liberty University in college. I'm 19 years old. And this podcast is a cultural commentary podcast where we just dive into all aspects of culture from a biblical worldview. And really the goal of this podcast is to teach Christians, especially Gen Z Christians, um, how to build a Gen Z counterculture and how to engulge, engage with all aspects of culture in a way That aligns with a biblical worldview and with biblical values. So that's really what we're talking about today. And that's really what we're always talking about. So yeah, so guys, it's Wednesday. And I realized on our first episode, I didn't talk about our release schedule. The way it's going to work is our release schedule will be Wednesdays and Fridays. That's when you can expect a new episode from us. Okay, let's just go ahead. Let's get straight into it. Today, we're going to be talking about Christians and politics. And I know that this is a very hot topic, very controversial, but it's one that I personally am very passionate about. I'm very involved in politics, although not really on the political side, more on the activism side. I'm more involved in that, but I'm very passionate about, you know, what does the Christian's relationship with the government look like and how do we approach contentious political issues as Christians coming from a biblical worldview. And, you know, I'm someone who leans more conservative, but I do see a lot of issues on both the conservative and liberal sides of Christians when we approach this, and I do think we have to acknowledge, especially conservative Christians, that liberal Christians exist, and you can be liberal and be a Christian, and so I just want to put that out there going first, that while I lean more conservative, I know people who are more liberal and identify as liberal and are Christians and are faithful, biblical, orthodox Christians, I know people who are conservative and identify as more conservative who are faithful, biblical, orthodox Christians. And so that is really what I want to emphasize before we start diving into this, is just that there are Christians who align more with the left, who align more with the right, who are faithful and true Christians. And there's a lot of room for disagreement, I think, on politics. Scripture doesn't speak clearly into a lot of areas. I think there's biblical principles that we can pull for both sides on topics like immigration, education, welfare, Capitalism versus socialism, the environment. There's a lot of room there for disagreement and debate between Christians, uh, but there are some issues where there are not, and those are the ones we need to unify on, those things that are very clearly more than just, you know, political, cultural issues, but they are indeed scriptural and spiritual issues. So today we're just going to, it's going to be the first episode in a series of episodes that we'll release kind of sporadically, just talking about Christians and politics, what is our engagement in that. Look like, you know, to me it's just really important that Christians are engaged in politics, and that is because politics matter, because policy matters, because people matter. That's an Ali Bef Stuckey quote, and what that really is saying is that politics matter because policy matters because people matter because politics in America are what affects the policy that is created that governs our nation, and. The policy is what affects the people around us. And as Christians, we're called to love our neighbors, specifically in Mark 12, 31. It says, love your neighbors yourself. And so that means caring about the policies that are going to impact our neighbors, that are going to impact the people that we live with. Yes, of course, we also want to care about policies that are going to impact ourselves, but primarily the motivation for a Christian engaging in politics, doing things like voting, being a good civic um, steward of their civic duties. That is very important that Christians are engaging that because of love of their neighbor and love of God. You know, we go back to those fundamental commandments always when we're talking about things from a biblical worldview. And it's just very, very important that those are the primary motivations for Christians being in politics. And like I said earlier, Christians can be liberal or conservative. Um that's something that's controversial, especially in kind of the more conservative world that I live in at Liberty University. You know, but it's very true that you can have Christians that lean more liberal. But there are fundamental issues, fundamental topics on which we should agree that are scriptural, that are biblical, that are very fundamental. Um some of those include abortion, you know, Christians must oppose abortion. That's very clear in scripture that we are to value the image of God. Um, gender and sexuality when we're talking about transgenderism and lgbtq issues like gay marriage you know those are really fundamental to who we are created in as by god male or female distinctly his vision for marriage and what that looks like one man one woman that's the way it's defined in the bible that's the way it's defined in scripture and so as christians we should really be united on those issues and i think to me Those are Genesis 1 issues. We see those established in the very first chapter of the Bible and reiterated throughout Scripture by Jesus and his teachings of what marriage looks like, of what it means to be created in the image of God. And so I think those are kind of the issues that we should come back to as Christians because they are so fundamental, right? Those types of fundamental issues that are really rooted in the core doctrine that Christians have of the image of God, when we're talking about things that are rooted in the image of God and what it means to be an image bearer and those types of things, those are the issues that all Christians need to agree on. And so abortion is the direct taking of an innocent preborn life. We know biologically that that is life from the moment of conception. That's what science tells us. And scripture informs us as well that life in the womb is valuable and is made in the image of God. You know, we're told that God formed us in our mother's womb. Um, The very first person to respond to the news that Jesus would be born was John the Baptist in the womb. And so we see repeatedly that life in the womb is affirmed in scripture. And furthermore, there's a commandment against murder. So even if life in the womb was not directly affirmed in scripture, which it is, we know because science tells us that life starts at conception and we're commanded not to murder, that we cannot take that life. And so all Christians must oppose abortion. And then we come back to gender and sexuality. It's very clear in Genesis 1, God creates us male or female. We're created male and female in his image. And we're created beautifully and wonderfully from that very moment of conception. And at that moment, it's determined whether you're male or female. And yes, there are exceptions to that, right? Someone's always going to come up and bring up the intersex example. But I love the analogy that I've heard made that, you know, humans are bipeds. Everyone acknowledges that humans are bipeds. That means we have two legs. There are some people that are born with a genetic anomaly that caused them to only be born with one leg. Or to only be born with part of a leg or with no legs. You know, that doesn't mean as a whole that humans are not bipeds. It means there are some genetic exceptions to that. It's the same thing with intersex people, guys gender is set as male or female. Those are the two genders that people can have. And if in this day and age I need to refer to those as those are the two sexes that people can have, it's male and female, XX, XY chromosomes. That's how God designed it. And while there are anomalies where people are born with intersex conditions under that, you know, those are anomalies and exceptions that must be treated with care and and deeply with prayer on how we're addressing those. And so those are kind of Separate, I would say, those don't really redefine how we view gender and sexuality. And that's really important, another really important issue, I think, that goes back to the image of God. If we really believe that what it says in Genesis, created male and female in his image, then we as Christians all have to agree on the issue of gender and sexuality. And that extends also to God's view for marriage that's established right there in Genesis 1 as well. And that's reiterated throughout Scripture we see Jesus affirming that marriage is between one man and one woman, we see that the repeated pattern throughout scripture, we see condemnation of polygamy, of sexual immorality outside of marriage, of homosexuality, of bestiality, of any type of kind of sexual sin outside of that, and especially we see just very clearly what marriage is, and you know, So when we look to the Bible, we're looking for what does God tell us to do, not what he tells us not to do. And so, again, as Christians, we can look at scripture, we can see very clearly marriages between one man and one woman. And that's what we need to identify and uphold as Christians. So to me, those are the three real fundamental issues that are just scriptural that Christians must agree upon when we're entering the realm of politics. But outside of that, on things like immigration, the death penalty, the environment those you know racial reconciliation those are things where faithful christians can be faithful christians and disagree with that disagree on you know maybe should we have more welfare should we have less welfare should we take a more liberal stance a more conservative stance even you know should we be more progressive and socialist should we be more libertarian and free market capitalist you know what does that look like Those are things where there's a lot of Christian liberty, but we have to have unity on some of these issues that are just so based in our fundamental Christian doctrines. And there are some fantastic groups out there that really emphasize this. One is the AND Campaign, which does lean a little more progressive, but really what they are focused on is that Christians need to have conviction and compassion, and they try to bring together some of the best of both of the parties democrat and republican and they really market themselves towards urban christians and so that is what they're focused on Uh, like i said they tend to lean a little bit more progressive in terms of some of the justice issues they're focused on but they're very faithful christians they and they agree on those fundamental issues that we just talked about but they approach politics from that view of let's work together let's do that and compassion and conviction i think that's a an amazing message that is needs to be focused on more by the church when we're engaging in politics it's compassion and conviction takes both and there's another group truth over tribe that is really focused on unifying christians on core fundamental principles and not getting caught up in the weeds about what do you believe about immigration and no you're not a christian because you believe xyz you know or gun control, you believe this about gun control and XYZ, so that means you're not a real Christian. I mean, Truth Over Tribe is really focused on having conversations with people from all over, different perspectives, and what do we really have in common, and what are those fundamentals as Christians. And so, to me, those two organizations do a fantastic job of just really showing what it means that having liberal and conservative Christians, liberal and conservative policies, and bringing those together under a biblical worldview. I'll say as well that when we're engaging in politics as Christians, we have to be very careful not to make an idol out of them. And I'm certainly guilty of this at times as someone who's passionate about politics, especially on certain issues. You know, I have made an idol out of politics, made an idol out of that and been like, this is what's going to save us. You know, we don't want to elevate it to that, though. But we should play a role in politics as Christians because it's our civic duty. And because we do love our neighbors and we care about the policies that are going to affect them, you know, we have to be careful not to idolize politics and elections. And you see this kind of happen on both sides. You see kind of groups like the New Evangelicals or other very progressive Christian groups that move away from biblical orthodoxy and really strong theology into, you know, they don't believe the Bible is inerrant or authoritative. They don't necessarily... Believe in every Orthodox Christian doctrine, and so they move outside of the realm of what's biblical Christianity, and they focus a lot on progressive values and you see this in a lot of groups and they this tend to happen through an idolization of progressive policies and progressive ideas and so we don't want to see that but on the other end, we have this phenomenon that I call mega churches that also throw aside biblical orthodoxy and throw aside those things in favor of you know a more what I would call old boys religion that's faith, family, and flag and really focused on, you know, those three things almost being equal. Um, And it's this kind of, it's this odd phenomenon that's come in this era of MAGA where these churches are really focused on, we are an anti-woke church and we are a MAGA church and we are, you know, a real conservative church and they're kind of elevating that as part of their identity as a church. When really, well, that can be a component of the identity of a church, you know, how a church chooses to engage in politics or speak about political issues. You know, that can certainly be a component of a church, but making that one of your identifiers, you know, going online and seeing a church advertise itself as being anti-woke, preaching sermons about, you know, this this strange type of new sermon that's all about like owning the libs and taking on progressives and stuff. To me, that also falls outside the realm of biblical orthodoxy because we've raised, then, elections and politics to a level of idolatry. And I think this is really odd. A, a really fascinating example of this I saw was at Liberty University this semester. Alan West, who's a well-known conservative and Christian speaker, came to give speak at one of our convocations, and he went through 10 scriptures that guide his life. Well, first of all, Outside of a couple of these scriptures, they were very, very taken out of context. And so right off the bat, I was like, theologically, not sure we're interpreting these verses right when we're pulling them out of context. And, and things like Philippians 4.13, you know, famously pulled out of context all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like pulling that one out and saying, oh, you know, like this means you can do anything when that's not exactly the context. You know, if you don't know the context of that verse, go read Philippians it doesn't quite mean that you can just do anything with a prayer to God. That's not what it means. Go look at Philippians for the context of that. Amazing letter by Paul there, really written about contentment, joy, fantastic. But really, in his speech, Alan West just had a lot of pulling out of that, and it was really disturbing to me when he talked about a verse from Proverbs that was about meditating on the law day and night. And obviously, that is intended God's law, the Bible. And so he talked about that, but then he pulled out of his pocket a pocket constitution and goes, and we should also be meditating on this law day and night. And the way he spoke, elevating that to the same level as the Bible. And to me, that's this kind of trend that I'm seeing on the right in the in the more conservative world that I live in, that to me is really dangerous and leading us down the same road that a lot of the progressive churches and progressive Christians have gone where they've raised progressive ideology and progressive politics above what the church's core mission is, which is the gospel. And I see that happening on the right in a dangerous way where we're elevating this type of anti-woke MAGA, America, patriotism kind of brand that incorporates Christianity just as kind of that heritage, that Americana vibe. And so I see that as very dangerous as well. So I think when we're talking about Christians and politics, it's really important that we're not raising them to a level of idolatry, that we're not making them the core tenet of Christian identity. Because again, I come to in truth, you can be a faithful Christian and be more liberal or more conservative. And again, I think there are those key issues that are biblical, spiritual issues that there's not really room for disagreement on. But the majority of political issues, there's a lot of room for disagreement between faithful Christians. And, you know, oh goodness, a great example of this is the COVID-19 pandemic, where we had this debate over vaccines and masks. And to me, you saw during this a real issue with churches on both sides of weaponizing this. You know, you had right-wing churches saying, if you take the vaccine, if you wear a mask, you know, if, if you refuse to open your church, like, you're cowering, you're not biblical, you're not scriptural, da-da-da-da, that line of reasoning, and I found that really, okay, well, you know, my small little local church here in Indiana closed out of respect for the guidelines and obedience to the government, and, you know, that was what our church chose to do, and that doesn't make any, my pastor, our, our congregation, that doesn't make us any less of faithful Christians because we chose to do that, and so, That was really disturbing to me. And then on the other side, you had these more liberal progressive churches saying, if you don't get the vaccine, if you don't get the mask, you're not loving your neighbor. You know, like you have to get the vaccine. You have to wear the mask to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, whoa, you know, wearing a mask, taking a vaccine. Those those are not things that we see in scripture. Those those are things where, you know, There's that's an area of Christian liberty, whether or not you want to wear a mask, whether or not you want to take the vaccine, whatever you believe about those things, that's not something where it's clearly outlined in scripture, you know, there's no 11th commandment, thou shalt get the vaccine and wear a mask to love thy neighbor, like that doesn't, that doesn't exist, that's an area of Christian liberty, where you get to look at that and pray about it and consider it with God, consider those decision with your physicians and your family and say you know what this is what I've come to is the best decision for me for my family and so that was also very very disturbing to me to see progressive churches kind of idolize politics in that way and raise those contentious political issues up to a level of whether you love your neighbor or not I think that's really dangerous because it set the precedent that if you are not engaging in this certain action then you're not really following the commands of Christ the same way that we saw on the conservative side with if you are engaging in these actions, you're not really loving and following Christ. And I think both of those are just detrimental to the church and they're a fantastic example of how when we idolize politics in the church and when we elevate that above the gospel, we see this dangerous division and we see just this damage that's done to the reputation and of the church and really to the witness of the church to the the world and again this is not to say that christians should not be involved in politics or that churches can't lean more conservative or more liberal i certainly think they can i think that's healthy within the body of christ to have this type of political tension almost not a negative tension but a positive tension where there's debate healthy friendly debate between different christians about you know what what do we think is the best way to address poverty? What do we think is the best way to address climate change? What do we think is the best way to address immigration? I think that that is healthy and wonderful, actually, for Christians to engage on political debates on those issues, you know, in good faith, trying to find the best, most loving, most Christ-like response to those issues. But it's, it's not something where we need to be dealing in absolutes all the time again, other than on those issues that are very, very clearly outlined in Scripture. And I think the, the only three that I can really identify clearly are abortion, gender and sexuality, and marriage. And I think it's just because those are all rooted in Genesis 1, they're all rooted in the principle of the image of God, and we see those reiterated from Genesis 1 onward throughout Scripture. And we don't really see that with any other political issues that I can identify where they're so clearly defined in scripture. And so I think those are the things that Christians of all of all denominations, of all political leanings, can unite on. And then the other things, we have liberty. We have Christian liberty to disagree and to decide what exactly we want to do. All right, so the first, well, I guess the next thing we're going to do today is we're going to go through some of the scripture on Christians and government. And I think that this is really important to do because when we're talking about how Christians should interact with our government, I think there is a tendency on the left and the right to kind of view this as skewed, that on the right we see a more libertarian, individualistic perspective creep in of, no, 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 I don't like the government, the government is bad, the government is, is awful because it interferes in my freedoms. While on the other side, on the progressive side, you see no, 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 the government is bad because it's oppressing people, it's doing all this, and we need to tear that down and put up a new form of government. And so I do think both of those are problematic, and so I think we need to be rooted in Scripture in what we're viewing. And so first we want to look at Romans 13, 1 through 7. It says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So, I think from this passage of scripture, we can take these important principles that Christians are to respect the authorities. We're to obey the authorities, and we are to respect government. It describes some of what a good ruler should look like, being a tear to good conduct, but not to bad, and that we should have a healthy fear of those who are in authority. You know, government is instituted to God. Isaiah tells us that the government will be upon the shoulders of Christ. So we look at this and, and... you know, it's important that Christians, we should respect, we should obey our government, we should obey our leaders, and we should pray for them. And we see this also in 1 Timothy 2, 1-2, through 2, which says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Again, this is this verse tells us we're supposed to pray and give thanks, and, and intercede on behalf of all people but especially kings and all who are in high positions our government authorities and, and we ask that we can leave a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way in that we're able to live peaceful lives in simple service to the Lord um, Titus 3.1 says remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work I think this verse is also pretty clear in that we as Christians are to submit to rulers and authorities. We're to obey them and we are to be ready for every good work. I think this is a key phrase here as well. Good work, this does not tell Christians to be obedient to the bad works of the government, right? It says be obedient to every good work and so this isn't telling us to be unconditionally obedient to government, you know, and we see this in some of these other verses that we're going to talk about where they kind of, give a little bit of condition of when when there's a conflict of what the government is to do so john nineteen eleven says jesus answered him you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin and so in this he's talking um to pontus pilate he's he's discussing you know he's he's referring to the roman officials and so he, he's talking about this that authority comes from God. It comes from Jesus. And so leaders and rulers have a responsibility then to rule according to God's standards and what God says are the best and good and right and true ways to rule. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind. Acts 5.29 says, But Peter's and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So again, this is another important principle that when we see the government in conflict with what is biblical, when we see the government in conflict, their commands are in conflict with God's commands, God takes higher priority. We, we love and obey God above all else. You know, we're followers of Jesus Christ, not followers of the government and then Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, and then the government. And so that priority is important and it's critical. And lastly, we have Psalm 20 to 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Again, just instituting that kingship ultimately belongs to God. It falls upon Jesus, and and that is where our true allegiance lies, not to any government or country here, but to the kingdom of heaven. And so we must remember that that supersedes any laws or rules that a government makes, you know, if a government or a ruler is asking you to help, you know, to disavow God, to burn your Bible, to do something like that, God's not telling you to go along with that, you know, we see Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're commanded by the government to bow down to an idol, and they refuse, and they're thrown into the fire, and so right, right there is a great example of You know, we as Christians sometimes have questions of when is it okay to disobey the government? Well, when they're trying to command you to do something, or asking you to do something that is in direct conflict with God's law. The authority of God is greater than the authority of man, but we are to respect the authority of man as long as it is in alignment with the authority of God. And again, this isn't saying that we're supposed to have a theocracy. Absolutely not. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And we also don't see that a government must be perfect and good for us to obey it. But for the most part, we're to obey the government unless they're asking us to do something that is contradictory to what God commands us to do. And so that's kind of the scriptural basis for how Christians should relate to the government, to government officials. And I think that sets the baseline for how Christians are going to engage in politics. We have to remember that it's within this context. And so any Christian engagement in politics should be respectful. I see this really nasty trend of even among Christians going out making memes or just going out and mocking people on the opposite side of the political aisle and I just think this is not the Christian way to engage in this you know how is this respectful how is this respecting others as image bearers and really are are we speaking as Christians truth are we being salt and light or are or are we just joining in the with the culture joining with the world are we truly being set apart are we joining in with the world in the way that we're engaging with politics and you know i'm not absolving myself of guilt if you look back at the history of things i've shared on my social media i'm 1000 percent sure you'll find memes i've shared that have mocked the other side things i've shared that have been vastly maligning on the other side but that's somewhere that god has been you know nudged me in my heart and convicted me and said you know what you have to repent of that and so I have, you know, I've repented of, of really being an absolutist when it comes to politics, of idolatrizing politics, and really trying to move forward into a place where I think Christians need to be, where we care about politics, but when we engage in them, it's really Christ-focused and Christ-centered, and it's really, really about, most of the time, those core biblical issues, then other issues that we might be called to be passionate about within that, but that we're approaching it from that place of loving your neighbor. And so the thing I want to do for the rest of this episode is I want to explore this series of articles from May and June of 2022 written by Trevin Wax for the Gospel Coalition. And these are really, really interesting. And I find them personally very interesting. This first one is called The Return of the Culture War. And then it's a series of articles that goes through. Here, I'll just read the titles of them for you. These are on the Gospel Coalition by Trevin Wax. The Return of the Culture War. The Tearing Apart of Convictional Civility, Navigating the New, Question Mark, Negative World, Didn't I Grow Up in the Negative World, We Need to Complicate the Negative World, Let's Contextualize Tim Keller, Encouragement and Caution for Culture Warriors, Truthful Witness in the Public Square, and Five Quick Takes for New Culture Wars. And so I have found this series really, really enlightening for me about what Christian engagement and politics has looked like in the past in America, what it should look like in the future, and kind of where a lot of these different perspectives come from. So I really want to just kind of go through these, break them down, discuss them. We'll also, through this, refer to a couple of other articles that um, Wax refers to. One is from The American Reformer. It's called This Article is Not About Tim Keller by James R. Wood. That's from May of 2022. And then we'll, an article from First Things, called The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism by Aaron M. Wren, and that's from February 22, 2022. And so those two articles actually kind of set the stage and tie in to what inspired Trevor Wax to write these pieces. So let's just dive into this. Let's talk about this. I, I think that it's just very important for us to understand This series of articles because I think it really provides a fascinating perspective on Christians and politics and kind of this phenomena with Gen Z entering politics and Gen Z Christians. And that's why on a podcast like this, it's really focused it at building a Christian counterculture for Gen Z. I think that this can really help inform how we as Gen Z are already engaging in politics and what that should look like as we go forward. So this first article is really interesting. It kind of talks about the history of the, what's known as the religious right in America. And that is, it emerged kind of with Jerry Falwell in the 80s and 90s. And it was this, and, you know, Pat Roberts and some other people, televangelists, and it was this type of culture war mentality that was very early about we need to align with conservatives as Christians because you know, we need to play hardball politics, we need to be in here. And so he kind of is walking through walking through what exactly the history of that was. And so he talks about his past as being raised in the 90s and having parents that were involved in the religious right and so kind of being raised in that world of the religious right. And so the idea here is that Christians are fighting for the soul of the country as a demonstration of faithfulness. And so being involved in politics is a moment where people on the right need to wake up, they need to get involved, and Christians need to, you know, need to be staunchly conservative on the right and supporting that. And so, you know, there were a lot of problems that arose, arose from that in America, and so that was really a, a an interesting period in American evangelicalism, where there's this coalition that comes together, really emphasizing, you know, things like coming behind Ronald Reagan, defeating the Equal Rights Amendment, um, having Bill Clinton impeached, or reelecting George Bush in two thousand four, um, on the issue of same sex marriage and disapproving that, and so this group known as a Religious Right, sometimes referred to as the Moral Majority really was a powerful political force and it was also a little bit dangerous but at the same time in the 90s there's this kind of church growth movement mega churches coming out that really took a step back from politics and it really said we're actually going to be apolitical as the church and we are just going to focus on the gospel and at the same time you also have a counter movement that's the religious left which is a lot smaller and it really being the mere image of the religious right, but very involved in leftist politics. And so this this kind of that kind of has an influence as well on this what's called the emerging church movement, and that is this group of people that are giving birth to mega churches and church growth and really focusing on evangelism and being apolitical. And so what happens is this is called the emerging church movement, and that tends to end up over time, moving more to the left as an opposing force to this very potent religious right. And so Wax kind of talks about, as he's involved in this, he goes to college at an evangelical university in Eastern Europe. And so engaging with global Christianity and being away and and being exposed to a wider range of reading and familiarity with different churches seeking to be faithful in various contexts and kind of getting to see the American culture was from the outside, he realizes that much of the attention the American church devotes to politics seems, quote, wildly misplaced and misguided, out of step with churches in many other parts of the world, end quote. And so he kind of describes these principles that he thinks help the church maintain its priority on discipleship and evangelism, which are One, distinguishing between the church as an institution and Christians as individual believers. And two, prioritizing the mission of the church over the implications of Christians living out their faith. And so I really think that this is a good way for us to approach politics in that Christians as individual believers have a responsibility to engage in politics, but the church as an institution does not necessarily have this requirement as was kind of pushed for align itself with a political party and at the same time christians should live out their faith but the priority should always be the gospel and so this gospel centrality movement kind of rises that's actually where the gospel coalition this website that he's publishing on comes from is this really kind of movement that's very much about this is what the gospel, the gospel needs to be. And so this rises in the late 2000s and early 2010s. And it's, it's almost in response to both the religious right and the emerging church, in that it thinks the emerging church is too decentralized, not focused enough on theology, and the religious right is just too beholden to politics. And so the gospel-centered movement says, you know what, we are not as interested in politics. We're also... Not interested in pure evangelism, we're interested in good theology and gospel centrality. And so, this is really where this type of movement comes in, and it, it becomes really, I think, in the late 2000s, the dominant force in American politics or in the American church, sorry, that we see today because it's rejecting both the religious right and kind of the more left-leaning emerging church or religious left group. And so to me, this is really fascinating because I think that this movement was actually very well suited to that time period, 2000s, 2010s, being very gospel focused instead of trying to reach out and to be involved in politics and all these different things because politics simply were not as big a part of American life as they are now during that period of time in the 2000s. Not that they weren't there. Of course they were there, especially with the election of Obama, all that type of stuff, but they weren't really to the level of saturation that they are now. And so he goes on to talk about during this time, there's this kind of old guard of evangelicals that see America as a type of Israel, a country chosen by God for a special purpose in the world, and then younger evangelicals seeing the country as a type of Babylon, a place where the, quote, true church will, for the foreseeable future, be a moral minority prophetic from the margins. And so this is really what shapes, you know, what shapes these kind of divide between older and younger evangelicals, between your older religious right trying to, like, boom, 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 we need to jump into politics, we need to do this because we're supposed to be is an Israel-type country versus younger evangelicals saying, you know what, the politics are not the way to make change, and we're resignated to um, being a minority, and so we really need to just focus on pastoral help and counsel. And so that's really where you see up until 2015 when the Supreme Court rules that gay marriage will be legal. And all 50 states and from there on you see kind of the loss of political protections for religious liberty and then the victory of Donald Trump in 2016 which was really surprising both politically and within the church because there is a kind of a resurgent religious right and, and white evangelical support and then following that this push for acceptance of gender theories about transgenderism And kind of a suppression of speech around that has really reshaped where we are in terms of this. So no longer are we in this place where we can be this gospel-centered movement. Not that we're not gospel-centered. Wow, that sounded really shocking. But what's called the gospel-centered movement really tried to be apolitical. And we're not really in that moment anymore anymore. But we're also not in this moment of the old religious right, and we're not in this moment of the emerging church either. We're in a completely new moment because of where our country has moved politically. And so now you've got this neo-religious right emerging, and that's kind of maybe what I'd identify myself as part of, although definitely more on the moderate side than the full-out neo-religious right side, but that's kind of what's emerging right now. And they agree with the younger evangelicals that preceded, more of your millennial evangelicals, the neo-religious right tends to be predominantly Gen Z, but your millennial evangelicals that were like, you know, we're in this kind of Babylon moment. We're in this moment where the church is in decline, but rather than saying our primary call of faithfulness is to be passive in the face of political change, and you know kind of just focus on pastoral concerns and they're saying no no no, faithfulness in Babylon looks like like jumping back into the political fight and so this is kind of what we're seeing as a rejection of of the excesses of the old religious right saying we don't really need to idolize politics to that level but at the same time we don't want to be this apolitical group that is is so above politics because faithfulness in the public square is a part of discipleship. And so for removing that aspect of discipleship from our churches, that is really problematic as well. And so that's kind of what he's talking about in this first article. And he's kind of setting the stage for the rest of his series of this is where we're at now. This is where the evangelical movement is now. This is where the American church is now is with this neo-religious right emerging and so he's talking about in this series then what how do we react to that and so this next article the tearing apart of convictional civility wow this one was really was really interesting to me because it really resonated with me and that this idea that you know we christians used to seek to be seen as winsome or thoughtful or nuanced and that has kind of gone away and so the right has really said no no no, we don't want to be winsome and thoughtful and nuanced anymore this is a time to fight and and it's um the cultural it's just appeasing the left-leaning cultural elites and and you're just kind of caving if you're doing those things and so I really wow like that was really shocking to me not surprising but shocking to me with just the way he was able to, in this article, Wax is able to break this down and why is the reject, you know, why is civility seen as weak? And so, it's really because, he says, society is changing quickly and not favorably towards Christianity. And because that's happening, that means that now Christians are no longer seeking to be thoughtful or winsome because... No longer is that earning them a right to speak. And so, and it's not earning any warm feelings because society now sees Christian moral teaching as repressive and harmful. So they're saying we need to be confrontational, we need to be forthright, we need to be bold. It's not a time to play nice anymore. And yet, while this rings similar to kind of that old religious right mentality, it's not exactly the same because they don't they don't see us you know the neo religious right doesn't see itself as some sort of chosen special nation it sees itself as speaking fighting in in a in a nation that's on the decline and so i i really think that there's this tension and and he describes this tension in this article between conviction and civility and and what's happening with that tension is is you have, we just need to be confrontational, all conviction, all conviction, all conviction. Then other people that are saying we need to be all civil, all civil, all civil, and kind of cave on some of our our things. And and this is really, to me, I like this point he makes that we really need convictional civility. And that means that we need conviction and kindness together. And th- this reminds me actually of the and campaign and compassion and conviction, right? We need both of those things. That's really essential to Christians engaging in politics. And that we need conviction and compassion. And so I think this is this this article making this point that we need convictional civility is really, really important. And so just, you know, not falling too far into either side. And so these next three articles that he writes deal with something called the negative world. And that concept comes from the First Things article, The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism by Aaron M. Wren. And in that, he kind of identifies three worlds of Christianity in America. The positive world, pre-1994, where society had a mostly positive view of Christianity. The neutral world, which identifies as 1994 to 2014, where society takes a neutral stance towards Christianity. And then the negative world from 2014 to the present, where society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. And so he really identifies these shifts because 1994 is where this kind of populism takes place and, and um, surges forward with the Republicans taking back the House of Representatives And Rudy Giuliani becoming mayor of New York City, which signals like an urban resurgence in America. And both of those things, the populism, urban resurgence, kind of bring about that emerging church movement, that gospel-centered movement that are really focused on kind of engaging in a neutral world towards Christianity. And then 2014, he identifies as the switch to a negative world because that's the build-up to, and eventually in 2015, the Obergefell ruling that made gay marriage legal and all. Fifty states, and that really signaled a shift in his view to when no longer is Christianity seen as neutral or positive; it's now seen as negative. And so, in in this in these next three articles, Trevin Wax engages with kind of what it means to live in this shift, and it's not just Aaron Wren that makes this note of 2014 as a special year when we see neutral to negative Christianity. Um, Stephen McAlpine also identifies this as this specific time period, and even Tim Keller has made acknowledgments that something shifted in that year. And so we really see um, this is the era where the neo-religious right is coming about. And so we see this shift from culture warriors in the 80s and 90s who are in a positive world towards Christianity but for some reason really felt that need to fight and that was the old religious right to culture engagers, which are, you know, the world is neutral towards Christianity so we need to kind of sidestep politics, rise above that. And then now in this negative world we have the neo-religious right. And so this is really... You know, this article, again, this I find this really interesting because I think it's really true to notice that there is this dramatic shift in how Americans view Christianity during these three periods. I think that's really fascinating. And I do think that there that is a very true evaluation of it, that there are these distinct shifts of positive, neutral, negative. And so Wax talks about in this article... That, in this negative world, we see that there's no longer any winsomeness. There's no longer any of that. We want to win political battles. And to me, this is ooh, this is um this is again, this is this is dangerous. I, I really like the convictional civility approach. I think that that is the most biblical and Christian way to engage in things with respect for everyone, even those who disagree love and compassion for them and and yet that's not the dominant force we're seeing understandably so I think because there's this feeling of hostility towards a lot of Christian biblical values especially when it comes to these ideologies dealing with an essentialist view of of race and identity politics and then these theories about gender and sexuality I think there's there's this feeling that we need to fight we need to fight we need to fight but and th- and that's true in a sense. But we need to remember that we can fight with civility. And so, this is this this kind of shift that took place and began in twenty fourteen. Um, Tim Keller describes this as a sh- a loss of the umbrella, and he describes that you kind of have this this middle of people that are are not really explicitly. Christian or secular, you know, in the past they've identified as Christian, but they don't really attend church regularly. And that kind of middle, when they were more associated, more friendly towards Christianity, they provided a cover for traditional values and for devout Christians. And now that middle area since 2014 has started to lean more towards secularism, which means now the devout are taking a lot of fire on what Tim Keller calls public flack for their views. And so I do think that this is a true observation that that we're seeing this kind of shift in the way that America deals with it. And yet, Wax identifies as the next section. There's this feeling of, didn't we grow up in the negative world talking about his generation which grew up with the old religious right? And so, he talks about, is the negative world really new? Is this, is this negative world really new? And, and he is kind of skeptical towards that, and that there, there was, you know, perhaps this sense of urgency and dire circumstances in the 90s, which are identified by Aaron Wren as being the positive world, but Wax sees this as it's a little more complicated than that. And that we are kind of in an, in a world that's shifting in cultural sentiment, but maybe not necessarily we're not in a negative world in the sense of we're not explicitly persecuted as he's seen in other parts of the world and when we're really focused on electoral victories over anything as we are in america we miss that there's real political suppression and genuine persecution in other parts of the world for christians and so he just kind of sees that coming from his context and he says i don't really know that we're in a a truly negative world although we are in a world that's shifting." towards this more anti-christian ideologies but are we really negative and so there's there's this critique here that he makes of that but then he also makes a critique of those who would still choose to try and remain above the fray because again he says and assesses I think accurately that people who are culture engagers or try to kind of stay apolitical as churches tend to punch right and coddle left so they're really willing to say oh no no no! i'm not those far right religious like religious right conservatives of the old guard no 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 but they're not really willing to punch back and and talk about the issues like abortion or gender and sexuality they're kind of coddle that side of it or even you know race and immigration really taking more of a stance on that, where they're saying, Oh, you know, we're really going to move to this explicitly progressive view on race and immigration. And again, I don't have a problem with you taking a more liberal view or a more conservative view on race or immigration. Those aren't foundational biblical issues. I mean, the Bible has stuff to say about those two things, but there's a lot of room for disagreement and interpretation on those. Those are not authoritative biblical issues. But to me, it does become problematic when the church kind of starts to take firmly one of those standpoints on an issue that should have more Christian liberty in it when you're moving to the left kind of just to appease the culture and saying, "Okay, we're going to stand over here. We're going to we're going to believe this and we're going to take these issues that aren't biblical and kind of use the love your neighbor type thing to to be cover for the church supporting progressive policy. You know, to me, again, that's dangerous because the church should not be taking a hardline conservative or a hardline progressive stance. It should be taking a hardline biblical stance on the biblical issues and giving Christians liberty to engage on political ideologies as they see according to their own Christian liberty political views. And so, you know, I, I think that the other thing he, you know, he wax goes on here to say, you know, that's a real issue. But but the reaction has been just to do the opposite thing and to punch left and coddle right. And that is you know, that's equally as problematic when really you should be, you know, you know, you should be doing both. You should be walking the way of the gospel and the way of christ and saying you know when i need to punch right i'm going to punch right and when i need to punch left i'm going to punch left you know there are certain things where i am going to punch right like abortion and there are other things where i may need to punch left like immigration and the way that the right often completely dehumanizes immigrants or undocumented people just completely demonizes them makes them out to be awful terrible people even those who are brought here as children like that that's a time to me when you need to punch right and say hey just a reminder everyone's made in the image of god and it's our responsibility as christians to love them even if they came here illegally they're here we need to love them not not getting into a debate about immigration who ne- you know should people be deported should we take many people you know that's a whole different topic for a whole you know that's just a whole different topic but i'm just talking about purely the way that we view and we talk about those you know undocumented people as as christians we have to remember that we owe them the love and respect that god gives us as image bearers because they are also image bearers and so he just points out that that there's a danger on both sides and while it's true that you know he's warning this neo religious right that as it's true that those culture engagers tend to punch right, coddle left. you're you're doing the same thing. you know, you're just just opposite. you're coddling right and punching left. and both both ways, I think, lead to the what I talked about in the beginning of the episode, those types of churches that are idolizing progressive or conservative politics and making those part of their brand when really you know it's not about that. it's about the gospel. And when Christians engage in politics, it's about loving your neighbor and loving God and dealing with image-bearer issues. And outside of that, it's Christian liberty. And so we don't need to be branding our churches as explicitly politically conservative or politically progressive. You know, I, I just think, wow, that really just galvanizes me in a way of, I think it's just very dangerous to do that. Um, so this next article, um, Trevin Wax really talks about kind of he opens with the shift that's happened on sexuality since the 90s where really there's this, this aggressive view against Christian views of sexuality in marriage from 2015 to now. And it's just been even starting back in the 90s on same-sex marriage and transgender ideology. And so so he uses that as a way to say, look, in this instance, we very much have gone from positive to neutral to negative world very quickly. But he says we need to complicate this and see that this framework is issue by issue based. Because on racial justice, he says that we've actually moved the other way because we've moved from negative to neutral to positive in terms of society now views of view more favorable to biblical christianity you know because biblical christianity says all human beings regardless of ethnicity or race are worth worthy of respect and dignity and equal protection under the law and that that is um you know that is what the bible says when we talk about the image of god and so he's right in saying that we've moved to a more positive view of christian views on that issue And so, wow, I just think that's really insightful. And I think that's a much smarter way to apply this lens is taking it issue by issue and saying, are we in a positive or negative or neutral on each of these on each of these issues? And and you know what? There's always been things where Christians right now on the sexuality issue, especially are under huge fire where Christians are maybe being fired from their jobs, Christians are facing challenges in terms of that type of gender and sexuality issue, pronouns, letting students use a bathroom, those types of things, Christian teachers being fired, Christian people being fired from other jobs. You know, that's a true and real thing. But then we look at other issues like the race issue and we see you know, this is great. And I love this quote he has here. He says in the article, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, wrote Charles Dickens. And John Piper says that line is, quote, true at every point in the history of a God ruled sin pervaded world. And so wow, I I think that's a a great analogy to make that for the Christian at all times great things are happening and terrible things are happening because God is always working and so Satan. And so there's this this conflict where not everything is good, not everything is bad, and to categorize everything as being in the negative or positive or neutral world is dangerous to me. When really what how we should be looking at it is, you know, I agree with Wax here, we should be looking at it as, on this issue specifically, where have we shifted? And I think that's a much smarter way to go about this. And so... This next article responds to a piece written by James R. Wood, where he wrote kind of a critique on the theologian and pastor Tim Keller. And then he wrote a second piece kind of clarifying some of the statements he made in the first one, just talking about he sees Tim Keller as being almost too apolitical and trying to move above politics when really the time is for Christians to engage. And so that's what James R. Wood talks about. And so this is kind of Wax's response to that. And so he he looks at that and, and, and says, you know, James Wood agrees that we're in a negative world. And, and then talks about, you know, Tim Keller maybe. It is too much above the fray of politics and especially the people who kind of fall in that vein are, are also above that. And and that's not good. This isn't the right time for this. That That we need Christian realism right now where we have to focus on there are real and responsible things going on right now. And we have to be able to respond to those. And so... You know, I just think that this is an area where that, you know, I agree with Wood in that this is the type of world where, you know, it's a we can't be apolitical. I, I think the church cannot be apolitical right now, but I think that Trevin Wax takes a better view of this where he says, you know, there are positive and negatives to Tim Keller, and Tim Keller talks about his ministry method was created for the time that he started preaching and and it worked great and Tim Keller himself has talked about you know the importance of contextualizing your ministry and saying that you know what I did in the past won't always work and so we can actually learn from that and apply that to his own style of preaching and say you know, Tim Keller, your way of preaching has worked in the past, but right now we need to engage a little more on politics than you did, and that's that's okay. And so I think that this is, you know, I like that Trevin Wax here is talking about, you know, Tim, Tim Keller does not need to be the object of our blatant critique because he gets most things right, and just because, he, you know... He wants to find this third way on every issue. Is is not always right, and Keller himself admits this. He 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 says that Christianity doesn't fit easily into ideological categories because it's kind of a patchwork of extremes on certain views of certain issues, and and but he acknowledges that sometimes he overdoes it in looking for this third middle way, peacemaking impulse on on every issue and so you know i think that this this column in particular is very good because tim keller here is is not just representing himself there that's a whole school of thought right the tim keller school of thought when it comes to politics is very big in the evangelical world and so tim what he represents here is the people who really Want Christians to be able to be apolitical, and when we are involved in politics, really be just neutral or in the middle, or kind of like, well, both sides are bad. Both sides have have things, and all that is true at times. But again, when it comes to things like gender and sexuality, abortion, gay marriage, those are those are things that Christians have to take that very strong and firm, extreme stance on, and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. This is what my convictions are, and this is what. We're going to adhere to. And so that is somewhere where Tim Keller has even admitted himself that, you know, there are times where I overdo it on this peacemaking kind of third way move. And that's where this criticism of his is coming from. But I think that Turnwax makes a good point in that. You know what? Tim Keller's method actually does work a lot and it wasn't wrong. For him to use because at the time that was the way things needed to be done and now we're in kind of this new moment where things need to be done differently but we still have a lot to take and learn from Tim Keller and that's applicable for most issues so this next piece by Trevan Wax uh, okay guys I know this is getting long Um, I really want to finish going through these columns we have two left I, I want to finish going through these, and then we'll go ahead and wrap this first part up. But I just think that this series by Trevin Wax really is a great critique of of the neo-religious right and how Christians are going to be Gen Z Christians and this new generation of Christians are going to be engaging in politics. And so, just don't mind, you know, I just think this is this is really insightful. And so... As he goes into this, he he really, he, he, in this article, he's really talking about what is encouragement and caution for culture warriors. So when you're being a culture warrior, there's there's this idea that from the left that this imagery of warfare is anti-Christian, it's anti-Christian. But there's a lot of language of spiritual warfare in the Bible, as Wax points out. And so, you know, Jesus said we need to be peacemakers, but he also said he came to be, to bring division and, and to do that. And so there's a lot of imagery of being on a spiritual battlefield and and to be on offense as Christians and, and do that. And Wax identifies that the danger of this, however, is when we identify these warfare motifs to political engagement. And so that's that's not really the enemy of the Christian, right? The enemy of the Christian is Satan, it's the forces of evil, the powers and principalities of supernatural evil forces. And that's what we're working against. And while that can that can be expressed in politics, I think abortion is the best example of this when it comes to a political issue that that is really a spiritual issue it's that issue of child sacrifice that we see all the way back in the old testament with the sacrificing of children of Moloch you know it's that same issue a spiritual issue that's that's rearing its head again that is a good example of something that's political but also spiritual that's where Christians should march into battle that's where the 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 kind of quote-unquote culture war should be but even in that scenario jesus calls us to love our enemies pray for them and do good for them so even the people that are advocating the legalized mass murder of so many children you know millions of children a year being murdered in the womb those are people that we must pray for we must love and we must be good to and that's That's what we need to do. And so, you know, we're fighting for our opponents and for the people who will be harmed by what our opponents propose. We're not fighting against them. We are standing for something. We're not standing against what's wrong. We are standing against what's wrong, but primarily we're standing for what's right. And so Wax goes on to caution culture warriors that, you know, there's this this issue of kind of fortifying the quote outer facade of christian faithfulness while being hollowed out on the inside end quote and i think that that's really powerful where you see that a lot of churches are are saying okay we're going to go out we're going to fight transgender ideology da, 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 and saying nothing to their own church members about something like pornography which is or divorce which are running rampant through churches right now and, and so, you know, it's like we have to be, we can be focused and we must as Christians engage in these outer battles, but that doesn't mean we give up on our inner battles. And then the other thing Wax points out is there's this possibility of friendly, friendly fire. And when you're engaging in a culture war, there are, there's this friendly fire going on between Christians because we have you know, churches and leaders that are taking a different approach to cultural engagement, who have the same doctrine as us, who have the same theological, orthodox, Christian, biblical beliefs that we do, but when it comes to engaging with culture, engaging with politics, they approach it differently. And we see these different approaches as the right, and I'm so guilty of this, as, oh my goodness, they're not really doctrinally sound because they're not speaking on this or they're not doing this, da-da-da-da-da. And that's a friendly fire issue. And that's what Wax is warning about is let's not fall into that. If you're going to be, you know, if we're these new culture warriors, then when we go into that, we need to be going into that as in, okay, it's okay for these different different things to happen. It's, it's okay for this to happen. And people have different strengths and congregations have different strengths. And so we need to be be united as the body of Christ in that. And so that's really what this column talks about. All right, two two to go. Let's power through. Let's get these two done, and then we'll wrap up. Um, this next one talks about truthful witness in the public square, and and truthful witness, Wax calls the accent being less on presence and more on proclamation, and action and so he he talks about when the world gets loud on a certain subject and the church goes quiet even out of a well-intentioned desire to avoid giving offense the next generation gets indoctrinated into another worldview and here's no counterpoint truthful witness means the church must speak the truth boldly compassionately and without qualification with full confidence that doing so will be for the good of the world we oppose and so this art this article is about refusing to compartmentalize the Christian faith. And that is, I love this because this column is all about what this podcast is about in that we can't take our faith and bottle it up into these little areas, right? It, it affects all spheres of our life, all aspects of things, including politics. And so he, he offers three suggestions on how to be a truthful witness. First of all, always be on guard against political idolatry. We talked about that earlier this episode. Both sides have a tendency to do this and, and to preach politics instead of preaching the gospel and how that impacts our politics. Preaching politics just straight up, that's problematic. The second thing he says is consider areas of competence and calling and this is really insightful here in that not everyone is competent or called to engage on the same on the same issues like not every pastor needs to speak about every single policy choice that's being made pastors and individual christians are called to you know are called to certain issues specifically and what waxer Recommends pastors do is say, you know, pastors should reserve things, you know, his quote unquote, Thus Says the Lord speeches for areas where moral issues are clearly laid out in scriptures. And his, This is the Christian Way, for those areas of long standing agreement within the broader Christian, Christian tradition as to the best and most appropriate ethical stance to take, rather than being a pundit and, and talking about every single issue that someone in the congregation brings up. You know, he really needs to reserve his pastoral authority for areas where moral issues are clear in Scripture and and um about Christian living for those areas that are very deeply agreed with within the Christ- Orthodox Christian world. And so, you know, competency and calling has to do with who is called to what. And who is competent for what? So what are you meant to do? What are you called to do? And what does that happen? That doesn't mean being balances all time at all times. Wax points out that partisanship is simply an unavoidable element of political engagement in modern America. But an a Christian working for a GOP lawmaker or a Democrat lawmaker is probably not gonna come out and criticize that lawmaker or institutions that support their lawmaker's campaign. But, you know, that's that's part of respecting authority, doing that. You know, you're working under someone, you're going to respect them, even if you don't agree with them on everything. While the individual Christian, you know, doesn't need to be balanced all the time in terms of that, we should look at emphasizing the areas where we're competent, and called by Christ. And the third point he makes in this article is we need all types. And and that is, again, emphasizing this the body and saying some people have different gifts when it comes to engaging with politics. And he says this here. We don't want everyone doing everything. We want everyone doing something. And that something should be within a person's sphere of competency and calling. And wow, love that too. Especially in the world of social media where... It feels like everyone has to engage on every issue. Christians can say, no, God has called me and given me the skills to address this specific area of policy or politics or culture, and that's what I'm going to focus on, and that's what I'm going to do. And and you know I think that that is really wise. All right, the last thing Wax writes is five quick takes for the new culture wars, and these are kind of kind of his his own takes, and I think that... You know, I agree with a lot of them, disagree with a couple. So let's just go through these real quick. First, don't overestimate the power of politics. I agree with this certainly. We evangelicals have had a tendency in the past, both left and right, but particularly the religious right to idolize politics. Don't overestimate the power. That is not what's going to change hearts and minds. That's not what the calling of the gospel is. We... Don't shy away from truthful witness in the political sphere, but that doesn't take precedence over our witness of the gospel. His second observation, play the political long game. And again, we should not compromise our convictions in order to get a a certain like short-term win for a political party. We must stand strong on our convictions, even if we have to wait out a political party and give them our full support. We're not we should not be so partisan and devoted to being Republican or Democrat that we're saying, OK, I'm going to vote for, a, for example, a pro-choice Republican because I'm really conservative. That's what I'm going to do. No, that don't betray your convictions like that. I'm a fan of saying "Christian," you know, in my view, because abortion is my big issue that I'm competent and called in is that Christians should never ever vote for a pro-choice candidate, whether they're Republican or Democrat. And whether they say they're pro-life, but they vote pro-choice, or they're just outright pro-choice or pro-abortion, Christians, we should not be voting for those people. Leave your ballot blank. If we have two presidential candidates in this next election that are Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I will probably be voting third party or leaving my presidential section blank. simply. Because neither of those candidates are truly and fully pro-life. And so, as a Christian, I don't think we should support candidates that are not committed to protecting the preborn. Because that's an image of God issue. It goes back to the fundamental issue of, of we see the image of God in every human being, starting from the moment of conception. And if you're not going to defend that as a politician, that's the bare minimum that I think Christians should hold them to. And I think that's what has to happen. Um, but yeah. So the third point, Wax makes stand out by being unflinchingly fair-minded, and I love this too. And I, I really, I, I struggle with this sometimes, but I really try to do my best to really hear out all the different aspects of of a of a side of an issue, and really say, you know what, I really want to be fair. That most people in politics are trying to do what they truly believe is best, and. I think that's very true, especially among Christians who disagree on politics, that we really are truly seeking to to express the love of Christ, even if we disagree on what that means. Um. Fourth, he says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so. Here he just talks about, you know what, do not believe the lies that political parties are telling you. We need to be wise about the fact that political parties are trying to use, both political parties want to use the church as a voting block, And so, you know, we have to remember that primarily we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so don't allow yourself to be taken advantage of by political parties. And then finally, he says, keep the open hand and closed fist. And this comes from... Oz Guinness, and basically he says there are two approaches to making a defense for the Christian faith, persuasoria, the way of the open hand, which involves creativity, finding common ground, winsomeness, etc., and dissuasoria, the way of the closed fist, which involves tough-minded defenses of Christianity, tearing down ideological strongholds, etc., and that God's people must use both approaches simultaneously. And I I think he makes an excellent point here that Christians tend to react in ways that emphasize either one or the other instead of holding them both together. And so, so, you know, we have going back to that beginning, you have kind of that that old religious right generation that those culture warriors from that generation that are very closed fist. And then you have the culture engagers of the last generation that are very open Hand. And so, you know, our challenge as Gen Z Christians seeking to walk forward is to say, we need to take both of those. We need to be balanced. We need to take open hand and closed fist and go in. And when it's time to use the closed fist, we're going to use that. And when it's time to use the open hand, we're going to use that. And really just be wise and discerning in how we're engaging with issues. So that is Trevin Wax's series. On Christians and politics and that is going to be we're going to wrap up here with the end of this first episode on Christians and politics but uh, I do think that I really recommend reading through these whole articles because I think they just offer a really good examination of the state of the church and its involvement in American politics at the moment I think it's true that there's this rise of a neo-religious right I think it's true most of the observations that he makes here, and I really agree with a lot of his prescriptions for how this new generation of politically involved Christians need to move forward. So we're going to close, as always, with John 1-5, and I hope with this political episode this really just gives you hope going into an election year. You know, we need hope, and we need to remember that Christ is king, and that regardless of how elections turn out he is in control and we know what, how how it all ends and so john 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it all right thanks for listening everyone be sure to follow us on social media at counterculture christian and you can follow me at thomas.hill04 we'll see you on friday